G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Let's welcome back to 2020 Charles Newington, who is the National Director of Family Voice Australia. Hello, Charles. Welcome along. Thank you, Neil. Good morning. Charles, big issues we talk about today, one that's probably not as prominent as it was when it was really in the headlines when squillions of refugees were knocking on the doors of Europe. But we are back because of regional conflict that's going on. It's developing now between Turkey and Syria. What are your thoughts for the way things are developing right now in the Middle East? Uh, Thank you, Neil. It's increasingly tense and uh, and unpredictable, frankly. Uh, the conflict between Syria and Turkey in the Idlib province is, um, is serious. Uh, Turkey is shooting down Syrian planes, and um, it's, you know, people are dying. And uh, what the president of Turkey has done is he's pulled an unusual trump card out in that he is saying, all right, well, to kind of make this... Uh, you know, an international issue to get people's attention for whatever his reasons might be. What he's doing is he's opening his borders and letting the refugees through into Greece. And the Greeks are sort of saying, no, 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 you don't come here. But it does seem, an, it's not just a, a passive thing, it's an active thing. This is a, a well-organized push, um, you know, thousands, perhaps as many as 100,000 are being bussed to the border. And uh, they're they're cramped up now against the fences and against the rivers and boundaries. And um, and and Europe is now fully fully awake to the fact that that uh, whether they like it or not, they've got another huge wave of refugees. Charles, uh, let's about. let's talk about Europe because Europe is an attractive destination for refugees. What is so attractive about Europe? And of course, obviously, when civil war is. Uh, attacking people uh, in Syria and uh, the conflict there between Turkey and uh, and now Syria, as you're saying, but but people are very attracted to get into Europe. Yes, it's fascinating, isn't it? The people are coming out of Islamic societies, particularly disrupted societies, and they're seeing particularly the northern uh, countries of Europe, places like um, the UK, Germany, uh, Holland, Scandinavia, these former Protestant countries, um, as as their destination of choice. And uh, in these countries, we see that there are good welfare benefits, there's justice before the courts, there's equal, e- equality of opportunity, and there's a, a sense of freedom, political and social freedom, that is very, very attractive to people who've lived in very constrained, socially claustrophobic societies. But when you look at the pictures of these refugees, they're almost exclusively young men, uh, and that um, they, it's these young men who are more mobile and of course they include people that have been involved in the conflicts and that's one of the reasons why um, Europe has become increasingly careful Uh, and once they come in then they hope to do a similar thing to what happens in Australia when we have this family reunion policy to try to bring the rest of their families um, into their countries of choice. 
I can understand that uh, why people would 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 see these countries that are sort of symbolic of a free society as a very de- desirable destination, uh, but it is it is a commentary, isn't it, on on what um, uh, what is seen to be important, what is seen to be valued, and, and why people are leaving their own countries um, for other worlds. Charles, when you think of Europe and these days a very secularised society, uh, you know, trying to keep church to the outer, but there's a residue of the Christian history in Europe that perhaps is the cause of uh, the way that oftentimes public policy and uh, welfare benefits and uh, justice before the courts these things are reflective of earlier Christian society and and there is something special that makes that very attractive to people who have not had those benefits in their own society. Yes, ex- exactly, Neil. That, uh, the, these uh, social policies don't just, just ar- ar- arrive out of a vacuum. They come out of a cultural context, out of out of what the people and the society has valued in the past. And uh, I've got a friend who's a... Um, who's a, um, a barrister, and he 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 wears wig and gown, and he uh, he just made a comment the other day about how the the wig and gown is a is a is a kind of a visual message to people that that the, that our legislation has got a long tradition that it comes from somewhere, and that um, and and in fact it's also going somewhere, and we we need to see that um, we can't just dismiss the roots of our of our society uh, as it's reflected, in, not just in our buildings but in our institutions, and that's what's going on in the West at the present moment. And what these refugees will soon discover is that they'll discover that they've come into environments that are undergoing deep trans- uh, transition uh, from their traditional Christian perspective and values that, that that undergirded these kinds of values, and and these things actually change their nature. Uh, when they when they are disconnected from the Christian ethic and they reconnected to say the secular ethic that does not have such a high view of the uh, of the human being. Interestingly, Charles, when we talk about these changes, incremental changes, a dismantling of those things that have given us the foundations of the past. When we get to crisis, then change really starts to. Uh, be uh, amplified in the way that things are dramatically moving to a different uh, way of of working. And and so we've got some crises that are facing the world now, Mm. not only uh, the idea of uh, civil wars and things like that that have been going on in Syria, but now the coronavirus and uh, gripping the whole world in a sense of being fearful about that. And we've got our own controversies that are developing here in Australia about uh, caring for, say, the aged population. Uh, what are your thoughts about a developing uh, controversy in a Baptist aged care facility in Sydney? Yes, in the news uh, today, there's news of this facility where um, they start to have cases actually brought in by a carer into um, an aged care facility and it starts to spread and and what happens is there's a bit of a conflict between state and federal governments about um, about the funding of of emergency support and and that might be a kind of a bureaucratic tiff as it were as they kind of work out uh, you know what forms you've got to fill in and all that sort of stuff but for these care workers on the ground every second matters 
you know. And so what they did was they they kind of collectively called in sick rather than go to work um, uh, uh, in the in their highly compromised environment, you know. And it's what that does is it sort of it sort of says to government get your act together, you know, they're, they're real people in real situations. It looks like a kind of a, a somewhat selfish action, um, but you can see that when values start to change, people start to use other ways of levering uh, government or whatever to get results. And, uh, and, you know, we might see, in a sense, in the refugees, a kind of collective action to force the hands of power um, uh, to, to, to do something, get them out of the camps. And if that means pushing up against the fences, then they're going to push up against the fences because, um, you know, their situation is, is apparently unresolvable by any other means. We're in that kind of time, in other words, that society is full of these kind of tension points. And uh, all it takes is a bit of crisis to really ramp up the pressure and we get kind of the kind of social reactions that, 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 that seem to really push... Um, what we might call social order to straining point. Well, this is something that could get much, much more serious than just uh, one facility. Uh, I'm obviously, uh, you know, I I can see sympathies on all sides. I'm sympathetic Mm. to those workers who are saying, well, you know, we're not prepared for what is coming with a pandemic and, uh, you know, we won't turn up at work today. But I'm sympathetic, too, uh, to the government side that says, well, you know, government is not the panacea for all of the concerns that develop everywhere. Uh, but there's a certain sense, Charles, in which some people think that the government should fix everything. What are your thoughts here? Yes, there's, once again, this is an example of how the ideological pressures of our time are, come to the surface in crisis because there'd be some people, say, typically more on the left side of politics that would say, um, you know, all the power should be with the government to solve these things. And so um, the government, we, we elect them to fix problems and to sort things out. And, uh, and if they don't, well, then we turn them out or whatever. Uh, but, but what that is actually doing is it's unconsciously it's sucking the responsibility and the power away from civil society, from ordinary people able to solve their own problems. And this is what we saw, for instance, in China. One commentator made, made the observation that when the coronavirus started to spread in China, there were no civil organizations that could step into the breach and start to help people at a community level. They'd all been removed, eradicated. All there was was government. And unless government spoke, nobody did anything. And, and regional leaders leaders, etc. They had to wait for the word to come from the president in order for them to know what they were meant to do. And that's the direction of the big government model. Before you know where you are, people have been stripped of their responsibility and stripped of their capacity to act for themselves in the emergency, in the situation. And we can't let that happen because fires break out where they break out. And and uh, and it's issues like uh, viruses, etc., they erupt where they erupt or, or accidents occur on the sides of roads or whatever. And if people are, are, are actually robbed of their sense of social responsibility, their commitment to the common good, then nobody stops to help the accident victim or nobody jumps into the water to save the drowning man. Um, so th- these these sorts of challenges are... Um, uh, they're actually in play. Um, um, uh, it's, it's like crisis brings the philosophical foundations 
up out of the ground again and, and makes us question what makes our society work. Charles, for most people, it seems to be uh, where fear is rising. Uh, the big uh, point of conversation, of course, is around, you know, the uh, the stress on buying toilet paper at the supermarket. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. there, and that's uh, no doubt that's an important conversation for some. But it actually is just the shallow end of the conversation because what you're talking about here is moving into the deep end of the conversation in what will happen in your workplace. Uh, when you are faced with the choices uh, that may bring uh, support and help for someone who is suffering, or you may well actually abdicate your responsibility altogether and uh, and call into work sick and leave it to somebody else. Uh, these are the deeper things that we're going to be needing to consider. And I wonder whether you've got any thoughts around a Christian perspective on how we ought to be planning to react when the crisis comes to our workplace or our family or our church or our community organisations. What are your thoughts here? When I think about the Christian faith in Western society today, I, I, I think that the Christian faith has been more influenced by secularism than it realises. And so unconsciously, the Church has sort of reframed the Gospel as something that, that kind of provides for the individual's emotional and social needs. And so, um, you know, the Christian faith is is kind of, packaged as something that makes you feel better about yourself and feels better about life, etc. Where the Christian faith, it does do that in a sense, but it, it calls us to something much deeper. It calls us to put the deep things right, which are to, to, to know the reconciliation that is, is for us in, in Christ, to know what it is to be reconciled to God, so that at the very deepest core of our being, we are people at peace. And we're at peace, whatever happens. We know that our faith is not immunizing us against the coronavirus or against accidents or things like that. It's not about that first and foremost. It's about the deep reality of what happens to people in an ultimate and immortal sense. And when that issue is, is the wellspring from which we live, when we, when we are people at peace with God, then we are de facto, a priori, whatever the great Latin phrase might be, I think it's a priori in this case, it, we, are, we are a priori at rest with our neighbour as well. And we realise that our lives are not just uh, the benefit to us in the moment, but the fact that God has done something so deeply transformative in us that nobody can take the benefits away from us. Nothing can rob us of the grace that we have received in Christ. I remember working in an environment where people would come to me in one of my kind of, you know, accidents of birth or whatever is as, a, as an ideas person, I'm seeing solutions. I would do that for, you know, design or something like that. And the question would come to me, um, you know, how can you give all this these generous, pardon me saying that, but, you know, I don't, I don't think the idea was a very good idea, but it would come to me, why do you give all this stuff away? And, and I'd think about it, you're right, I should put a price on it. And then I, it was like God spoke to me and said, don't put a price on it, there's heaps more where that comes from. In other words, God is so generous and so abounding in grace toward us, we can live confidently and peaceably with our brother and our neighbour. You know, what is likely to come to the fore as your 
reflecting on those things, I can't help but think that uh, we're going to see uh, a character issue arise in particularly care industries like aged care and all sorts of other industries where uh, people could be at risk with coronavirus. And uh, there's this eternal part of us that has to take stock of uh, this balance between uh, caring for uh, our personal safety and uh, that also self-giving that relies on God because somehow or other, uh, those who've got a firm Christian faith, an eternal element of their being, uh, are are going to be called upon to uh, put that to the test if they're going to be putting themselves at risk. The, The old English saying, keep calm and carry on. Uh, that's uh, something how, you know, we've got to be able to get that balance. We've got to come to some sort of way of moving forward without being struck by the anxiety that others will be struck with, Charles. Yes, I agree with you, Neil. I think, um, once again, my, ma- my mind's like a jackrabbit today, bouncing all over the paddock. But I, I, I'm reminded of the, the great plague, you know, uh, uh, of, the, the, uh, uh, of the 14th century and how... What happened was, you know, government just, you know, kind of um, government was putting the welfare in those days, and it was the church, it was the it was the priests, it was the monks, it was the nuns who took responsibility for the health and well-being of their communities, and um, and they died in their thousands in the service of um, of those who, who were struck by the plague, uh, but but in the process they also helped to contain the spread of it. And I think that we, we, today, in a secular society, the people are no longer the monks and the nuns. These are medical people who, whose life it is uh, to, to provide health care, and they find themselves in a very complex and difficult position. And, um, and I, I think that, um, you know, this will challenge us, uh, challenge us all in our prayer life to pray for for health professionals to find ourselves in acts of service that that make a difference, make their jobs more po- uh, you know more uh, possible um, as as we face these issues. Uh, this is in a way you know this is a sort of a wake up call. It's a way of saying oh maybe we're 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 over the days of um, of, of simple e- easily managed social policy um, <laughs> situations. Uh, what would happen if 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 um, other kinds of more complex, uh, um, you know, uh, infections or viruses sort of spread in society, and how would we manage it? How would we live with it? And uh, uh, and um, and and the Christian community, if we say and we say with good reason that we have been awakened um, spiritually to, to to Christ and and to conscience and to truth, um, well, um, now now we must live it. Well, we may well find ourselves being put to the test in coming days, weeks and months with coronavirus on the spread. And uh, as interesting as we've begun to talk about that whole issue today and a controversy that arises in an aged care facility which actually is a Christian-run aged care facility. So uh, you might anticipate that there are other secular-run aged care facilities that might have even bigger issues to deal with. Uh, start, staff start calling in sick and, uh, and won't attend uh, to the needs of those who are residents in those facilities. Charles Newington, uh, great insights. Uh, thank you so much for sharing those deep insights that talk about our responsibility for 
Christian believers and recognizing this eternal presence of God in our lives and what makes us different, uh, what makes us different after a new birth to what we were before. Now we have the presence of God and with that comes a new bravery to be able to face the issues that a nation might be facing if there is uh, the concerns that people are talking about with the pandemic of the coronavirus. And perhaps we're exaggerating all of this. Let's hope it is all an exaggeration, that it all does fizzle out and that it doesn't have the major effects that we're talking about. But, Charles, uh, great to hear your insights today that prepare us as Christian believers uh, for what our extra responsibility might be if that challenge comes. Let me point people to the website, Family Voice Australia's website, familyvoice.org.au. Familyvoice.org.au. Charles Newington's the National Director of Family Voice Australia. And uh, if you've not been to the website, check it out today. Find out how you can support Family Voice Australia too and all of the good initiatives that they are involved in. Charles, thanks for being with us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.